you have your copy of God's Word, open with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Before we read God's Word, beginning in Mark verse 21, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You that as a believer, as one who has been bought by Your precious blood, I have the hope of looking forward to that land about which we just sang. Father, I ask that You would help us to have a renewed excitement about what it is that You've done for us. Lord, would You revive us again? Would You help us this morning to set our eyes upon Your Son, to stop being distracted by the things of this world, to stop being so caught up in the daily tasks of life, but to focus on the beauty and glory of Your Son. Lord, help us this morning and use this text to be a seed that is planted in fertile soil that it might bear fruit in causing us to see just how good your Son is. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They, being the disciples in Jesus, they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. There was an old hymn that said, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. And these lyrics capture the essence of the true Christian's heart and mind. I am satisfied with Jesus. Jesus is enough for me. He is better than anything and everything that the world has to offer. And in our passage this morning, in Mark 1, 21-28, we see that people are amazed with Jesus. For them, it was not lights, cameras, and action that took their breath away. They were not interested in an experience or an entertainment. They were not like many so-called churches today whose greatest desire is to create a fun environment. These people were met with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his preaching was unquestionably and undeniably marked as sovereign in authority. The word sovereign is literally defined as one who is a supreme ruler. Authority that cannot be challenged, overthrown or interfered with. Or one whose power is not drawn from any outside source. And Jesus is the sovereign Lord the reigning king, and in this text, the authoritative preacher. Again, he's proving himself here to be the Son of God. 
there's one point that I want us to see. And it is the authority of Jesus in His teaching. There is no better theme, no higher concern, and no deeper subject than to speak of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Spurgeon who said, No Christ in your sermon, sir. Then go home and don't preach again until you have something worth preaching about. If Jesus is not at the center of the sermon, the center of the body and life of the local church, then we're failing to do what we're called to do. And here we see just who Jesus is. We see that Jesus is one who carries unmatched authority. Look with me, beginning in verse 21. They, they, again being Jesus and His disciples. Remember last week we looked at verses 14 through 20 in which Jesus calls His earliest disciples. He calls His first disciples saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'm going to commission you to do a task, namely to reach the world with the kingdom of God, to reach the world with the gospel. That is the good news of what I have come to do on their behalf. They, being Jesus and these disciples, immediately after He calls them, He puts them to work. Immediately after He calls them out of what they were previously walking in to walk with Him, He puts them to work. Verse 21, They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and began to teach. Again, we've heard a lot about true revival. We've heard a lot about Scenes of revival taking place throughout the state of Kentucky. And I'm praying that God is truly doing a mighty work in our day because we desperately need it. We desperately need for God to move. We desperately need for God to pour out His Spirit again. We desperately need for people to understand just how sinful they are and how good of a Savior Jesus is. We desperately need that in our day. But there are three things that true revival requires. And again, as I noted earlier this morning, it's prayer, preaching, and repentance. Any growth that is to be had begins first and foremost with a deeper understanding of and appreciation for the person and work of Jesus Christ. He must be the sweetest name we know. He must be to us the Son of God, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. If we want to see revival like we're seeing in so many places today, if we want to see that happen here, it begins with understanding who Jesus is. It doesn't begin with emotional movements. It doesn't begin with being intrigued and entertained. It begins with understanding who Jesus is. With understanding that He is the sovereign God who has come down, who has humbled Himself, who has condescended Himself into the likeness of man, taking on human flesh to be in our place what we could not be on our own. To do in our place what we could not do on our own. I could not die for my own sins because it was required that perfect and spotless blood be poured out on my behalf. And my blood is not perfect and spotless. And therefore, Jesus has come to do and be for me what I could not do and be for myself. And until we begin to understand that more deeply, until we begin to appreciate that and to say, worthy is the Lamb that was slain more fully and more clearly, more boldly than we did before, we won't see true revival in our midst. But here, we see that Jesus, in verse 21, 
went into Capernaum. And what does it say? Again, note this word that Mark uses 39 times in a 16 chapter gospel. And immediately, again, that marks a sense of urgency. That marks a sense of immediacy. That they understand that the days are dark and light is desperately needed. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and did what? Began to teach. The moment that you grow tired of hearing Jesus, that's the moment you've grown tired of hearing me preach. Because I have no other material and no better material than to preach of Jesus. It was Spurgeon who said, a man may preach the Gospel better than I can, but no man can preach a better Gospel. The story of Jesus, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus needs no updating. No revisions, no additions or deletions. A preacher's job is simply to help people see what Jesus has revealed Himself to be. First, by seeing more clearly for themselves what Jesus has revealed Himself to be. And then going on to rejoice in who Jesus is. In other words, my job is not to be interesting. My job is to be faithful. My job is to tell you about Jesus. And here in verse 21, Jesus does exactly that. Jesus is the greatest preacher to ever walk the face of the earth. I've often heard it said that God had one son and He made Him a preacher. Jesus is the great preacher. We looked this morning in our Sunday school lesson in John chapter 10 that He is the good shepherd. Here He is the good preacher. And what He does in this sermon as He goes into the synagogue and begins to teach, He's not teaching them about astronomy. He's not teaching them about how the stars align and telling them about their zodiac signs. He's not telling them all of that. He's telling them about Himself. Jesus is pointing these people to Himself. He began to teach. And what happens in verse 22? They were amazed at His teaching. As Jesus comes into Capernaum, right after He has called His disciples to follow Him, we see in verse 21, this word went would honestly be better translated as entered. They entered into Capernaum because the word went seems to imply that there was some traveling that took place. That they turned around from where they were and they traveled some distance to get to Capernaum. But instead, what, that, what actually happened, because remember that Jesus, going back up to verse uh, 14, says that He was walking through Galilee. He was walking along the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was just along the Sea of Galilee. And so they didn't travel a great distance to get into Capernaum. They, immediately after Jesus called them, began working in their own city. Now it's often easy, easier I should say, to tell people who you never really have to see again about the gospel. It's easier to hide behind a keyboard and write on Facebook about the gospel, but it's much more difficult to tell people who you have to see again the next day of their sin and of their need for salvation. It's much more difficult to tell that loved one. It's much more difficult to tell that person who you consider a good friend or your coworker or your neighbor of their need for salvation. But that's what happens here in verse 21. These disciples aren't going 50 miles down the road. They're not going across the globe. And doing foreign missions is absolutely needed. 
And I'm, I'm so encouraged that there are people who are willing to go across the globe. That There are people who are willing to take the Gospel to the corners of the earth. I'm thankful for that because God has called us to do that. But it's often difficult to tell people in your own neighborhood, in your own church family, in your own family of their need for the Gospel. And that's what these disciples are doing. They dive headfirst into the waters of mission work. They go and tell their own family. It's very likely that their own family was living in Capernaum. That those who they fished with were living in Capernaum. That those who they had just sold the fish that they had caught themselves. Because remember, they were career fishermen. It's very likely that those people were there being the, the ones who they were preaching to. But here, they go and begin to preach the Gospel to their own loved ones, to their own friends, and to their own community. We often sing, wherever He leads, I'll go. But I wonder if we would be so quick to follow His leadership into the hard places. Imagine that Jesus tells these disciples that they're going to follow Him. They're going to start fishing for men. Their task is to call people into repentance under the salvation of their souls. And then He says... Start with your family. Start with your own friends. Start with your neighbors. And what we see here is really the starting point of true revival. What we see here is really the starting point of any true mission work. We have to start at home. We have to start with the household of God. We need to start close to home. We need to ask ourselves how our own devotional life is. How our own work life is going. How our own witnessing to our neighbors is going. In verse 22, we see that they were amazed at the teaching of Jesus. Now this word that's used for amazed is thaumazo. In the Greek, is literally to say that they were astonished. They were beside themselves. They were witnessing something that they had never witnessed before. When they saw and heard the miracles and teaching of Jesus, this was not like some other prophet. This was not like some other person who was coming along claiming to be God. Now surely if we read throughout the Old Testament and see that there, was, there were prophecies of a Messiah who would come, surely if we read through history, we see that there were other people who claimed to be the Messiah. There were other people who came through and said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's been prophesied about all these years. I'm God. I'm the one in the flesh. Here I am. But none of them matched up. None of them truly were God. And that's why here in verse 22, they were amazed at Jesus' teaching. For He was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He wasn't teaching these people just as one who was telling them to follow the law. He wasn't teaching these people just as one who was being off at a distance saying, you need to make yourselves better. But instead He was saying, the standard is perfection. And you can't meet that standard. And therefore, I am the fulfillment of that standard. 
And there were no other prophets, there were no other scribes, there were no other teachers in this day who were teaching that way. And if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, that's where we see that Jesus is propping himself up to be the Messiah. And for this reason, they were amazed at his teaching, they were astonished at what he was telling them. And Jesus was teaching the Word of God. In John chapter 17, verse 17, our Lord's prayer for His people, for us, is sanctify them in Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. In other words, Jesus is crying out to the Father on our behalf, saying, Father, make My people pure. Make them holy. Do this by and through the power of truth. Truth is what sets us free from lies, from confusion, from idolatry. The Word, the Bible, is the source of that freedom-giving truth. And so use the Word to make the people pure. And here, Jesus, who is the Word of God, who is the very fulfillment of all the words of God, is teaching the people. He is doing exactly what He's praying that the Father would do. He's teaching His people. I may have told you this story before, but it's worth telling again. Brother Dwight Kaufman, who was with us a few weeks ago for our New Year's revival services, once told a story in a sermon I heard him preach of a friend who wrote a book. And this friend who wrote this book sent him a copy of it in the mail. And sometime later, his friend asked him to come and preach at his church. And when Brother Dwight went to his friend's church, the friend who had written the book, one of the first questions that the friend asked was, did you read my book? I sent you a copy. I mailed you a copy. Did you get a chance to read that book? And Brother Dwight had read the book. But the point of that illustration was that Dwight said, imagine if when we get to heaven, Jesus asks us, did you read my book? Did you live by my book? Did you honor my book? Did you see the supreme worth of my book? What a shame it would be if we had to tell Him no. What a shame it would be if we had to tell Him that we weren't truly people of the book. And so I would encourage us, church, let us be people of the Word. Let us be people who study, treasure, and teach God's Word. And here Jesus is teaching about Himself. Jesus is showing His own supreme worth. And the people are astonished by it. Beginning in verses 23 through 28, we really see another storyline here. Verse 23 Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Maybe you'll remember that in our sermon series through the book of James, we saw that even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons know that Jesus is God. Even the demons understand that Jesus is who He says He is. And so here in verse 24, this man who is possessed by an unclean spirit cries out and says, Who are you? What are you doing here? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. In verse 27, we see this word yet again that we saw in verse 22. They were amazed. So that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? 
a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. The common denominator between these two stories. The first thing we see in verses 21 and 22 is Jesus' authority in His teaching. The second in verses 23 through 28 is His authority in His actions. And the common denominator between these two storylines is that we're being showed the authority of Jesus. We're being shown the kingship of Jesus. The first storyline shows His authority in teaching, and the second, His authority in His actions. And these two storylines ultimately reveal to us one thing, the authority of this man, Jesus Christ. If we were to summarize all of these verses in just one sentence, it would be that there is nobody like Jesus. There is nobody like Jesus. These people were astonished with what they were witnessing. They were amazed at His teaching. It didn't take any external entertainment. It didn't take loud music as though they were at a rock concert to get the people moving. It simply took the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would tell us this morning that if Jesus is not enough to get us moving for Him, to get us excited for His kingdom, there's a problem somewhere. But if we look at the characters of the Old Testament, we see that Moses was the one through whom God gave the law to His people. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. David may have been a king who slayed Goliath, but Jesus is the king of kings who slayed Satan. Jonah was a prophet, but Jesus is the one about whom Jonah spoke. Isaiah was given grand visions, but the visions were of God, and Jesus is the Son of God, God incarnate. There's nobody... Like Jesus. And we see that here in this text because these people who had heard plenty of teachers in their day, they had seen plenty of so called miracle workers in their day, they had seen magicians and they had seen people who were claiming to do great works. Even Pharaoh was able to do great works by the hand of the devil. But they had seen so many great things, but nobody compared to Jesus. And they were amazed, saying, This is something altogether different than anything I've ever seen before. When we come to Jesus, when we open up God's Word, we are witnessing and experiencing and hearing something that nothing in this world can match. Nothing in this world can hold a match to the glory that is found in Jesus Christ. He alone has this sovereign authority over us. He alone has the authority to tell us what life is, what man is, what marriage is, and what we are called to do and be. And as He preaches, as He goes about teaching, as He goes about healing people, as He goes about casting out demons, showing that He is God even over the demons, the people were amazed. I wonder this morning if you're still amazed at what God can do. Maybe you have a loved one who was there lying on a deathbed and you saw God bring them back from what the doctor said there was no coming back from. Maybe you look at your own life and you see that before coming to Christ, you were spending all your weekends in the bars. You were spending all your days wasting your money at the gambling places. But God saved you. And so you see how glorious God's salvation is. 
Maybe there was that loved one whose marriage was crumbling, whose parenthood, whose children seemed to be going astray, but God brought them back. God brought that glue back together in the family and kept them together. And all of that was because of Jesus. And you were amazed at it then, but you've grown cold to it now. I wonder if you're still amazed at what God has done. Are you still amazed at that amazing grace that we sing about? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Is that still a sweet sound to you? To know that Jesus is the one upholding you now. That you who are drawing breath right now are drawing breath for the purpose of giving Him glory. Not for the purpose of making much of ourselves, but for Him. We are called to live for Him. Are you amazed at who Jesus is? Are you astonished constantly when you open up His Word at what He's showing you, at what He's revealing you, at what He's calling you to be? Are you amazed at Him? Psalm 135 verses 5-6 through six says of Him, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Isaiah 9, 6-7 declares, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders. In His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In Matthew 1, 21-23, we see that it is revealed or fulfilled in Jesus. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord of, through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. There is nobody like Jesus. David knew it. Isaiah knew it. Matthew knew it. The prophets knew it. Do you know that there is nobody like Jesus? They were amazed at His teaching. They were astonished at what Jesus was doing, at what He was saying. Nathaniel Vincent, a 17th century Puritan, wrote in his book, Turn and Live, we can never sufficiently lament that sin has made many madmen in this world. Life and death, blessing and curse are set before them. But men chose death before life. It is the pinnacle of foolishness that after seeing and experiencing the goodness, beauty, and unparalleled sovereign authority of this Savior, this God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we should still tarry in the pigsty of sin. It is absolute foolishness that after seeing what Jesus can do, after hearing who He has told us He is, to yet still deny Him. Sin destroys us, but Jesus delivers us. Sin blinds us, but Jesus blesses us. Sin condemns us, but Jesus comforts us. As Jesus goes into the city of Capernaum, He teaches the people. He tells the people about who He is, and they're amazed at it. And then He shows them who He is, and again, they're amazed at it. And oh, how I pray that we as a nation, that our community would turn from such a low view of God that we possess, and instead understand how glorious God is. They were amazed 
at his teaching. Look with me in verse 27. They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. And immediately, again, note that word, immediately. There's a sense of urgency about this. We've got to tell people what this Jesus is all about. Immediately, the news about Him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Now you may think that you're just one person. And that the impact that you could have on this community, the impact that you could have on this city, on this county, on this state is so small. So what's the point of even starting the project? But this was a small group of people in a small town of Capernaum. And all of a sudden in verse 28, the news starts spreading like wildfire everywhere. It doesn't matter how small you think you are. It doesn't matter how incapable you think you are. It doesn't matter how sinful you think you are. If Jesus has bought you by the precious blood of of Himself, there is victory in Him and you can tell the world about it and it's going to spread like wildfire. Preach the Word and let Jesus do the rest. They ask, what is this teaching? What kind of authority is this? These are the questions on the mind of everyone who witnessed what Jesus said and did. And the very presence of such questions implies to us that though church history reveals to us that there were many others who claimed to be gods and who claimed to be the long-awaited Messiah, none compared to Jesus. No one else has ever or will ever compare to Jesus. And we'll look more in depth at verses 23 through 28 next week, Lord willing. But for now, let it suffice us to say that Jesus is showing in that, that He is who He says He is. After telling the people who He says He is in verses 21 and 22, He then goes on to show them what He is, what He says He is. And they were amazed by it. Again, I would ask you this morning. Do you believe the reports? Do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? Are you still amazed at what God can do? I know I've quoted it before, but it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could think or ask, to Him be the glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen. Our God is able. Whatever prayer requests you have this morning, whatever concerns are in your life this morning, our God is able. Whatever sins you're dealing with, whatever darkness is in you, God is able to save you from it. God is able this morning. Are you amazed by that? Are you amazed by it? I pray that you would be. And I pray that I would be more amazed by it every day. Because our God is able and our God is worthy. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that you are able and that you are worthy. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to see that. Help us to see how able and worthy you are. How able you are to 
do what seems impossible and how worthy you are of the praise that is due to you after you have done what seems to be impossible. Lord, help us today. Help us not to grow cold, not to be like the church of Laodicea that's mentioned in Revelation 3 that has grown lukewarm, but Lord, keep us on fire for you. Lord, would you spread your gospel like wildfire across this nation, across the world, for your son's sake. We pray this in his name. Amen.